It's always been messy in the church. The church has really never gotten this right because, um, what is it, Francis Shaver that said, you know, um, whatever the culture's doing, the church will be doing seven years later. So we're not setting the temperature, hmm. right? We're just taking the temperature. So it's, it just stays broken in the church. Honestly, I just, one day I just, I was like, this is an absolute brilliant move on Satan's part. Hmm. It is an absolute brilliant move because 60% of the church wiped out, boom, just like that. Boom, just like that. Hmm. That affects the other 40%, especially since most of them are getting married. So it's just like, oh my gosh, like how not to be outwitted by the evil one. Can we hmm. just do what Jesus said? If we just did what he said, can yep. we just male and female, single and married, free and slave? Can we just can we just be out here what Jesus told us to do and just do it together? Susie, welcome back onto the show. We are going to be talking about becoming a Titus II woman. Now, if you're a guy listening, Continue to listen because there's going to be some things for you in this episode as well. But this is a topic, if I were to think of who could I discuss becoming a Titus II woman with, uh, I can't think of anyone that I would rather discuss this well with who would be better qualified. I just want to read a few things from um, your ministry website, the Well Women's Training Ministry. Let me, um, let me just read this about, about your ministry there in Florida and really across the world, but it says this, we know women sense that there should be more to their Christian lives, but they often have limited opportunities for spiritual development or to meaningfully contribute. We create training environments and opportunities that encourage every woman to become a disciple who can advance the kingdom of God and contribute to making disciples in her own Christian community and spheres of influence. So Susie, thanks for coming on and being willing to talk to women and to husbands about becoming a Titus II woman. Yeah, and I would say not just husbands, but any man that's serving alongside or with women, right? Men are supposed to be, uh, we support men, but they're supposed to be our champions. And so this is a way for men to know how to champion the women around them. Well, we're going to read from Titus chapter 2. We're going to read the whole chapter because we want to set the context of this conversation in Scripture. So if you're listening, we want you to pay attention here over the next minute or two. It's a short chapter, but we want to read the entirety of Titus chapter 2. And then we're going to focus especially on the first five or six verses of the chapter. So Susie, why don't we start off just by reading from Titus 2, and then we can kind of move into our conversation. This is Paul, the Apostle Paul writing to Titus, who was overseeing and helping churches on the island of Crete. These were young churches, so um, Titus has been tasked with helping them get off to a good start in following Jesus. So here's what Paul writes Titus. He says, but as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, 
that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works, and in your teaching show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an opponent may not be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Bond servants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith, so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, who are zealous for good works. Declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. Okay, so Susie, I don't know if you had That's your Bible and you were, yeah, if you were following <laughs> along, but I love I the book of Titus. I think Titus is, it's so, it's, I think it's like 42 verses, the entire book, but it's just power packed with gospel truth, but also practical discipleship. So what stands out to you as we, as we just kind of, approach Titus chapter two through the lens of the good news, but also the practical life of discipleship following Jesus that he calls us to. Well, for me, I think it's just um, uh, what stands out when you just read through it kind of because he's talking about the older men and then the older women and their impact on the younger women and then the younger men, how holistic this is. Like this is a whole family affair that there's nobody kind of in this passive role and there's just a few people that are kind of advancing these truths. So you can hear that everyone has got a part to play in this. I think what stands out too is how much he emphasizes character, that mm -hmm. um, our good character. Um, and, and back in the first, you, you really can't point to this anymore in our day and age, unfortunately. We have to rely on archeology span and history and, and all kinds of events as far as to be our apologetic. But in the first century, the people of God were the apologetic. You, they were what you could point to, to the veracity of the Bible, to the claims of the Bible. Um, you could point to them. And so because we were supposed to be the apologetic for the culture, you can hear the appeal to that. You know how many times he talks about being reverent and dignified and self-controlled and temperate, right? It, it tempered. He, because we are the apologetic and without a life that matches the message, it's going to fall on deaf ears. And I think, too, um, I think Cre Cretans, they were um, they were known for being really, uh, really, really rebellious, obnoxious kind of rogue kind of people. And I think alcoholism was a really big thing. Like they were just a bunch of alcoholics, you know, so this idea of being temperate and, you know, um, not given to much wine. And I mean, you can hear the cultural aspect, like what culture right. was the gospel going to be in? So what did you need to be in that culture that you were in, in order to reflect the truths of this gospel? So those are just some of the things that go boom. <laughs> <laughs> well, like I said, I love the whole book of Titus and you're right. If you, if folks read chapter one of Titus, then you find out that the Cretans themselves were, they were 
cut from a rougher cloth, so to speak. So, so Titus's mission was really, his challenge was really twofold. First of all, he had young believers. So these were people who were just starting out in the faith and learning what it meant to follow Jesus. But secondly, he was also working with a, a, a more rough raw material in terms of the culture and, and the people there. And so having said that, there's the call itself doesn't diminish, you know, the standard that that Paul is telling Titus to call those believers to doesn't get uh, dropped just because of some of the challenges that they faced. He still expects them to to live lives of devotion to Jesus that are remarkable, like you said, three times actually in this passage, um, I'll just point these out, Susie, to support what you were just saying there. In three different places, as Paul lays out for Titus, how the the people, the believers there in Crete were to live out the faith and the outcome that it was to, to result in. In verse 6, for instance, he says, um, sorry, not verse 6, verse 5, when he's talking about the younger women, the outcome at the end of that verse is set so that the word of God may not be reviled. So this, this behavior of the young women towards their husbands and their children and out of their devotion to Jesus was going to result in the word of God being uplifted. And then a little bit later, he says the same thing. Or brought low. <laughs> or brought low. Yes. Um, yeah. He tells Titus himself, show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. And then in verse eight, he says, so that the opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. And then finally, as he's addressing bond servants in verse 10, he says, they're to live in such a way so that everything they do may adorn the doctrine of God, our savior. And so to your point, this life of discipleship that we're being called to, yes, it has an upward direction that it, it is an expression of our devotion to Jesus, but it also has an outward expression that it it is the apologetic that you were just referring to that the world might see the way that we live and not have anything bad to say about our beliefs our teachings the truth of the gospel and this is an outflow of the great uh, the new commandment right so the he, he that's what he's that's that's uh that's the foundation for everything that the world would know that we belong to Jesus by the way in which we actually love one another and um, that love of ourselves, that love of God, that love of our neighbor. And so this is sort of like, this is, I mean, he's just expanding on that, you know, as far as um, how will the world know? What does the world need to know about God? We're going to figure it out by the way we're living, you know? So live yeah. the way like God, did, God told us to live. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, we talked a little bit just before we started recording that, in Titus, in the letter, there are two gospel capsules, and these are where Paul just in a very succinct way summarizes the truth of the gospel. And the first one we find here at the end of the, of the chapter of chapter two, as he's giving all of this practical instruction and these challenges to the believers about how they're supposed to live, he explains why. In verse 11, it says, because the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. So all people are to be reached with this message, um, the grace of God, the gospel. But this grace of God, it does more than just bring salvation for all people. It says in verse 12 that it trains us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. And that's really the context for what we're going to focus on at the beginning of the chapter. We're going to look at verses 1 through 6 
But the reason why those verses are so important is because the end of the chapter has happened. The grace of God has appeared. Salvation has been made available to all people. And this message, this salvation trains us to live a certain way. Yeah, right now, we're not waiting for the age to come. There, we're, we're supposed to be, we're the preview of the age to come now. And we need to be living the evidence of that age to come now. Right. Yeah. And so yeah. if we look back at verse one, one of the phrases that comes up several times in Paul's letter to Titus, he talks about teaching sound doctrine. And so why don't we start there, Susie? What are your what is your understanding of what sound doctrine is? And are there any ways that we might misunderstand the emphasis when we hear those words sound doctrine? So for me, that's a big question, right? Because I <laughs> yeah. do an interdenominational ministry and it's always been one of those things that, you know, God, what are, what's the unifier? Because you're not trying to make us all the same. We're one family, but it's not sameness, right? But there is, you know, it's it's one God, one Father, one truth, one faith, one baptism. So, and all of that too, it doesn't divorce the diversity. So for me, just trying to find out, just thinking through years after years, is what what is sound doctrine? Mm-hmm. And I, for me, I think I can boil it down to at least three universal things. Sound doctrine, without a shadow of a doubt, is got to center around the message of Jesus Christ. And the message of Jesus Christ was the kingdom of God. So sound doctrine is 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 not found anywhere else. Matter of fact, you know, John says in Second John nine and ten that you can go too far and go beyond the teachings of Christ. You know, if we miss the teachings of Christ, there's if anybody brings a different teaching, don't even welcome them into your home. So I would say that we've got to get better versed at what the message of Jesus Christ was the message of the kingdom. He came to give us the kingdom. Matter of fact, he says in Luke 4, um, 43, that he came to proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God, which is why he came. I think most, if you were to ask the average Christian, why did Jesus come? We would say he came to die on a cross so that we could go to heaven one day when we, when we die. But Jesus said he came to teach us, to give us, to proclaim to us the kingdom of God. And then in Matthew 10, it's amazing when Jesus sends the disciples out to start doing the kind of ministry he was doing. He says, I want you to go to the lost sheep of Israel and I want you to proclaim this thing, the kingdom of heaven. This is our message. And so I think we've got to know what the the kingdom message is, because whatever that is, that's. That's the foundation for sound doctrine. I think the other thing clearly that's um, that 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 is uh, part of our sound doctrine is just the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Um, they say that the the heresies, uh, you know, the the uh, the false teachings, the um, the Christian cults, they, it breaks off here, right? Mm-hmm. So we can't, you know, sound doctrine is going to be centered on the person and work of Jesus Christ. So we can't. We can't make Jesus into something that we want him to be. We have to follow him based on what he is and what he claimed to be. And we can't add or take away from the work that he did. So the minute we we move away from the testimony of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit about who Jesus is, and we move away from the testimony of the work of Christ for salvation, I think we're going to break away from sound doctrine. And I think the other thing for me that that really helps to um, um, 
just solidify what sound doctrine is. It's just basically what is the boundary around what would be considered biblical Christianity? So there is a there's a Christianity that we have inherited from the prophets and the apostles, something that has been handed down to us. And, you know, it says in Ephesians 2 that that God is building his church on the foundation of the prophets and the apostles. And Jesus himself is the cornerstone. So there is something that has been historically passed down to us, whatever those gospel essentials are that belong to um, biblical Christianity. And we can't break apart from it. I almost see it like a boundary. Hmm. And there's a boundary that defines biblical Christianity. When you step outside of that boundary, you're in heresy. Right. Within that boundary, there's freedom, but there's freedom within the boundary. So we can't, we can't make it something other than it was. And so I think here too, what could help the evangelical community a lot would just be um, familiarity with some of the ancient creeds, which really did put a boundary because they were fighting all kinds of heresies and isms. And they made they found a way to be able to go. This is the mark. Anything right. outside of this mark <laughs> is heresy, you know. So I think I think we've got to know what. Um, comprises biblical Christianity? What are those basic truths that define our faith? We've got to make sure that we're clear on the personhood of Jesus Christ and the work that he did alone for our salvation. So we're not making Jesus into some version of him that we want him to be. And we've got to know what the message of the kingdom was all about, because this is going to ground us or keep us grounded as far as our theology. So yeah. That, Those are my three things <laughs> off, the, off the cuff. <laughs> that, is, that is so good. Um, yeah, and I love that you just summarized them there at the end. You know, the message of Jesus, the kingdom of God, the person of Jesus, who scriptures have revealed him to be and who he himself was revealed as. You know, he came in the flesh so that we could know who he is and who God is. And then, like you said, um, putting all of that in the truth of what's been yes. revealed from the beginning about God and his purposes and his plans. I have, um, I have something that I was sharing recently with, uh, had a, a webinar that I was doing with a small team of disciple makers. And one of my points was that there, I think there are five core doctrines, not to add two more to, to your, the three you just mentioned, Go for it. I mean, it's <laughs> <laughs> but the first one I think is just the nature of revelation that, that, if we don't understand the kind of faith that we're called to, we're called to a faith of um, recognition and response. So we're not called to invent what makes sense. No. We're called to learn what has been revealed and then respond to it, to submit to it. And that really gets into living within the boundaries of what God has yes. revealed. So revelation yes. is a doctrine that I think we as believers have to be uh, established in. The second one is really just who is Jesus, the person of Jesus, because everything points to him. The Old Testament points to him. The New Testament refers back to him and tries to explicate his life and message and his work. Um, the third doctrine would be the gospel. What is the gospel? What is this message that we've been called to proclaim? And that really fits in with um, your thoughts on the kingdom of God. What did Jesus himself say that he he came to communicate the truth that he had been sent to deliver the fourth doctrine would be what is a disciple you know, who are we called to be as followers of jesus and what are we called to make you know if we're going to make disciples what is that and then the fifth would be what is the church who are we together as we learn to to follow jesus and 
you know, if you can get good biblical understanding and submission across those five things, like you said, there's a lot of freedom for us to have differing opinions within that. But once we go outside of those, um, we've moved beyond what God has revealed about the gospel, the church, and, and who he is as a person. Exactly. And if we lose the whole idea of the personhood of Jesus Christ, I mean, if God is remaking our humanity based on Jesus Christ, I don't think we're going to understand what it is that God's trying to do in us through Jesus. So he really (laughs) is. His message is central. His, you know, his life is central. His work on the cross is central. You know, the people of God that now are the body of Christ on the earth. That's I mean, we've got to understand all of these things. They they're married together. Right. And when we break them apart, we wind up in really bad places theologically. Well, this is a great transition into the practicality of Titus chapter 2, because really the, the, the first part of the chapter, it's starting with practicality. So how do we live out this faith? You know, the end of the chapter says the grace of God has appeared, and we spent some time talking about what that looks like. But um, maybe just before we move on from sound doctrine, when I, when I studied Titus a few years back, I, I studied that particular phrase, sound doctrine. And it's two different Greek words. And the word sound, um, which you know might not necessarily trigger this in our minds, but the word sound is actually the same root Greek word that we get our word hygiene. So it has to do with health. Um, and so... And then doctrine, again, sometimes like when I hear the word doctrine, I think of like theological precepts or theological truths that we need to listen to and agree with. But doctrine really is just teaching. It's a very basic word. And so when you think about sound doctrine, what Paul is describing there is practical teaching that leads to healthy life or healthy faith or healthy communities. And so what he's telling Titus is that's what you need to focus on. You need to be teaching practical truth that helps God's people live in ways that brings health to themselves, to their families, to their communities. So we start off with verse one of chapter two, where Paul says, teach what accords with sound doctrine. And then he immediately transitions into older men, younger men, older women, uh, younger women. And we start getting into the practical outworking of how that sound teaching is supposed to permeate God's community. So any thoughts on, on that, Susie, before we, before we go further? On how, how the sound teaching permeates God's community? Yeah. Yeah, just, just like what you said, through his people. So through his people who are actually <laughs> following Jesus, who are, act, you know, and, and um, the, the, the fancy words for what you were talking about earlier is just that orthodoxy and that orthopraxy. Right. Mm-hmm. So out of right teaching or right learning will come right living, will come the kind of living that God wants. And so I think what you hear is it, it, it's supposed to be generational. Whatever it is that we're doing, it's supposed to be exportable. And, and you, you nailed it. It's, it's, it's a practical, it's practical. These are practical ways of being practical ways of relating to one another, practical ways of, um, being community with one another. So this is how it moves. And each one is doing something. Some are teaching, some are serving, some are, um, you know, they're evangelizing with all of this in this whole realm of trying to get people healthy spiritually. Mm -hmm. Right. 
Yeah. Uh, the way I like to think about it, it, it's spiritual truth married to real world living. That's yeah. what sound doctrine is. It does have to be spiritually true. It can't just be, you know, lift yourself up from your bootstraps, uh, kind of, you know, uh, positive, the power of positive thinking. No, it is spiritual truth, but it's married to real world life. That is sound doctrine. If we if we only have one or the other, we're missing what, what Paul is talking about here with Titus. Right, because he's not just trying to educate us. Right. right. He's he, it, it's it's and, and I, you know, in, in our Western mind, we think of teaching through the realm mostly of educating information, the flow of information, facts, that kind of stuff. But this had more of the idea of of walking behind a rabbi. Right. And you're learning right. and you're learning from a real person in real life how to be, mm-hmm. how to think, um, you know, what 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 um, what the right thing to do in this situation is your own version of situational ethics, right? You have to have absolute truth in order to understand how to do situational ethics. So it, it it's just yeah, it wasn't just the flow of information that he's talking about. Um, well, this was Titus's challenge that he was with a community of believers there on the island of Crete, and Titus's challenge was to to work with them in such a way that this began to characterize their lives. And so, you know, Paul is charging Titus, hey, make sure this kind of sound teaching is being promoted. But then he gets into the practicality of it, which is, well, how is this, how is this way of life going to spread? And like you mentioned earlier, it's generational. So it wasn't just Titus, you go meet with all the believers and you are the font of wisdom and truth. And it's on you to make sure all of these believers in these different age demographics and uh, socioeconomic settings know it was really, Titus, make sure this is happening, but it's going to play out throughout the, the church community by each believer living out faith, but then especially the older generations investing and, and passing that on to the younger believers. So... Let me shift gears here, Susie, and ask you a provocative question. (laughs) (laughs) Why aren't more older women available to teach younger women? You know, we see here that the older women in Titus 2 are being charged to, to teach the younger women and to help them love their husbands, love their children. Um, you're someone who has spent years, decades following Jesus. Um, as a disciple, as a woman, as a wife, as a mother, as a mentor, why aren't there more Susie Walters <laughs> walking on the earth in the church? Just to put you on the spot here. <laughs> wow, it, it really is a great question. And just shameless plug, um, I do a conference that'll be coming up in September next year, September 2024. It's called Operation Train Up a Woman because of this very this very thing that you're talking about and the entire conference is basically built off these three verses you know Titus 2 3 4 and 5 like you know we the whole conference we could spend weeks on just this here <laughs> but um because there is a great need there is a really great need and honestly um I've been on the front lines of women's ministry for over 30 years now and um there there are several 
there are several things I think in play that have brought us to this place where um, relatively speaking, we have very few women in our churches operating like the older woman who's teaching and training, teaching like passing on information and training like soldiers, the younger women to do certain things very specifically. And it's not just these things because this is this is not this is a highlight reel, right? This right. isn't like everything because we already know what the general call of the church is that also includes bond servants and free and men and women and older and younger, right? Which is the great commission. So this is an addition to that general call that is already in the church. But uh, if you'll give me just a little bit of time to elaborate, cause I could go on. No, do it. I, you know, when you, you, you sent me this question, there were like six things that came into my head. So I just try to jot them down. I think one of the things that hurts us as far as older women teaching and training the younger women is just the model that we have in our churches. And I, a model that starts from honestly, you know, um, the nursery and then moves into children's church and then it moves into youth group. And then all of a sudden now you're a young adult and you're thrown into adult ministry. But your whole time, when you think about how we approach children's church and youth ministry, it's through an entertainment grid, right? I mean, the, the, the biggest thing that's expected of you is to show up and to invite a friend. This is, this is our big thing. So it's not like we're spending a lot of time teaching any theology or, or, or emphasizing the importance of the Christian disciplines and then giving people accountability to those disciplines. Because if you did, you'd run people off. And how do you build a children's ministry or a youth ministry if you're expecting accountability and actual, you know, I don't discipleship. So in addition to that, there's so few people that are exposed to any discipleship. So you go through your, you know, you're raised up in the church, you know, or you come in at some point and you enter one of these spaces, then all of a sudden you're an adult. You don't know what you're supposed to do. So you, you continue to do what you've always been taught. Show up and invite a friend. That's all you know to do. Just show up and invite a friend. So I think that model that we've got that kind of starts in children's church it, it just never really lets us go. And we don't have anything that's, um, you know, uh, intersecting with that or impacting that to help change our trajectory. I think, I think too, um, within the American church, there really is an idolatry of family in mm. the American church. And, um, that idolatry of family really does work against us. So even though God has given us physical families that we are to, to love and to sacrifice for, he's also given us a spiritual family. And so it's, it's interesting that, 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 you know, Paul talking in first Corinthians seven, he says that when you're single, you've got this undevoted, undivided, you know, devotion that you can give to the Lord. When you're married, that devotion is divided. It does not go away. I don't know where in our mind that once you have babies, your devotion to God as far as his people goes away. But Paul says that that devotion gets divided. He doesn't say that it goes away. Now a married woman has got to figure out how to love God and her husband, how to love God and her family. So the reality is that we have got two families, the spiritual family that God wants to have through us and the physical family that he's entrusted, you know, already to us. And we've got to find a way through faith to be invested in both of those families. And I think that's going to be a journey of faith. 
like it's meant to be. It's meant to sanctify us, which is what God wants anyways. But I think that we've got to recognize that sometimes, you know, we, we put the things of God on hold or we, or, or, or we feel that there's validation for putting them on hold because I've got a physical family now. And so that mentality in the church really works against us as women because we really feel we're doing everything we're supposed to do, just taking care of my husband and my kids and, and being a soccer mom. And all of those things are good, but so is my contribution to the spiritual family. Mm. I think another thing that really hurts us as far as being able to get older women who can teach and train the younger women, women is that we have adopted a volunteer culture in our church. We, we don't have a discipleship culture. So that that volunteer culture is really wrapped around just me helping a church run its program. And as long as it's got people running the program, we're okay. And then we feel okay because we're helping running the program, right? It doesn't mean that anyone's actually growing as a disciple. It doesn't mean that anybody knows how to contribute to what a disciple is because we've got this volunteer culture that we're operating in and women get caught up in that. Right. So they have very little experience with discipleship. They just know how to keep the programs running. You've heard me say this before. Another biggie is just the gospel that we believe for crying out loud. So hmm. we're in this this Americanized version of the gospel that, well, I've prayed the prayer. I'm going to heaven when I die. Right. So isn't everything else extra credit? So how do you encourage the older women to teach and train the younger women? They're they're one step away from the afterlife. I mean, they're getting ready for the cruises. They're on retirement. They're, you know, but it's all extra credit. It's not my job. Isn't that why we pay people to do this? So the, the gospel we embrace can actually work against us sensing um, our responsibility, our call, um, just the mandate that God has put on us, you know, so those are some things that are on women. I think there's other things we're up against. I think we're up against, um, you know, there's there's still a lot of bad theology in the church that um, does one of two things. It devalues the contribution of women or it limits the contribution of women. And um, which is which is which is sad, you know, because um, men and women are made in the image of God and the gifts of God. They're not doled out along gender lines, they're doled out as the spirit distributes them, right? And it's a it's a universal calling that he's given to both men and women. And so there's not like gifts that belong to men and then gifts that belong to women. You know, we get all the lesser gifts and guys get all the really cool gifts, right? But you would almost think that's the way it is in the church. Like, like you know, that um, women have a lesser role, not as important of a role. You know, we don't get the same kind of gifts. We don't have the same kind of call. And there's a lot of nonsense that's out there, you know, as if there's two types of humanity. You know, I, I think we're, mm -hmm. we're, we're humans, you know, and so there's... <laughs> There's some, there's some bad thinking within the church that that really gets in the way of it, you know, and, and, it, and it keeps women from serving alongside men. I think the way God designed us to serve alongside men as not only physical helpmates, but spiritual helpmates. But it also um, it also gets in the way of men knowing how to support the contribution of women mm. in the church. And so we you know, there is this tamping down. Um, and, and I think what Christianity has done is that it's allowed those who have been tamped down to rise up. But we still have that tamping down in the church, I think. And a big one 
Andrew, it's just the the massive amount of warfare here. Hmm. You know, when you when you think about it, um, I, I think Barna and this has been a steady number, like on average, 60 percent of any church is female. 60 percent of most any church is female. And that means that. Um, but what's sad is that the vast majority of that 60 percent is pew bound. Like it's just sitting on a pew. It's just attending stuff. So that whole mandate that God has given to older women in our churches, that they would teach and they would train the younger women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be self-controlled, to be pure, to be able to manage their homes, right? To be Mm -hmm. kind, to be submissive. And like you said earlier, so that the word of God is not disparaged, so that the word of God is not maligned, right? right? Or repudiated, so that the word of God can stand and and it can shine the way God wants it to shine through the apologetic that is his people. Well, what Satan has done so effectively is he's neutralized the older woman. So he's, he's neutralized the older women in the church. That's almost 60% of the people in your church are neutralized. Hmm. And that means that mandate that God gave specifically to women to do, just think about it. Every older woman that's neutralized means that she's contributing to marriages failing in our churches because an older woman was supposed to help the younger woman know how to love her husband. Hmm. So, you know, you just think of all the things that begin to fail if those women are not on the front line, marriages will fail. Parenting is going to fail. The emotional stability among women, it's going to fail, right? Purity is going to fail. Households are going to fail. Healthy relationships, knowing how to be kind, knowing how to be submissive, that's all going to fail, right? And the Great Commission is going to be limited in every church and every group where women are not engaged in this mandate. So it's a it's really strategic, I think, on the enemy's part to kind of blind the women in the church to get us to believe that really the highest thing that God wants is for us to attend, invite a friend and volunteer, because then all of the things that the older woman is supposed to be actively engaged in, she's not, which means Satan has free access to a lot in the church Hmm. because there's a huge element in the church that's not opposing him on any level. Hmm. Right. So we're losing a lot of the battles in the church. And I would say right here, because there are older women who are not engaged in the ministry that God has told them to do. And he told us what we need to do. And based on that, we know what would be preserved if we would do it. So I think there's all of those and probably more <laughs> that really contribute to the breakdown of the older woman. Like I said, there's 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 a strategic warfare to neutralize the older woman, to keep her kind of just showing up. There is bad theology that limits our contribution. I think the gospel that we allow ourselves to believe that's anything less than the kingdom gospel will, will allow us to be satisfied with being good enough about what we are and what we do. I think the volunteer culture we're in hurts us. I think the idolatry that I believe is a family hurts us. And I think the just the fact that we just don't see much else modeled, right? That model from kindergarten to young adult ministry is basically, again, show up and invite a friend. You do that. You're good, right? right? And right. all of this works against um discipleship and it all works against the ability to raise up the next generation effectively. 
Yeah. Well, and it could sound like we're picking on women here. Um, you know, there's a problem among men as well. There are not very many older men who have continued to pursue Jesus with a passion and who have a, a heart and a purposeful intent to reach back and invest in the next generation of men. But we do want to focus this conversation on women in particular. Uh, I want to get the most out of, you know, the wisdom that God has given you and your practical experience. I really heard three things, you know, you had six points and we'll break those down in the show notes if folks want to go back and, and look at each one of those six reasons why we don't see more older women living out the Titus II mandate. But they kind of fell into three categories as I was listening to you. So the first I would say is just faulty foundations. You know, we don't have a clear picture of the gospel, a clear picture of who we're called to be as as God's people. Or women in particular don't have that um, in this conversation. And then the second um, category would be uh, a faulty vision of the mission that God is calling us to. So yes. we just don't have clarity around what is it that that God wants me to do as as a maturing woman of god and then the third i would say the way i would describe it is is artificially limiting the contribution of women because of a misunderstanding of gender roles in in the scripture so those three things taken together seem to to characterize those those six limiting factors that you that you spelled out You know, would you, I would agree. So, yeah, yeah. So, what was your first one? Was it I like I, 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 identity Fault, issue? Yeah, faulty foundations. We don't understand the gospel. We don't understand who yeah. we're called to be as His people. Yeah, I would say that's a really good summary um, of 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 everything I just said. I think that's I they think that's right on. I think that when we lose it with the gospel, we lose it with the kingdom. We lose it with the kingdom. We lose it with our identity. We lose it with our identity. We lose it with our calling. We lose it with our calling. I mean, we lose our mission. I, everything is connected, right? It's all connected. Yeah. Well, and even if we go back to Titus here, Titus two, the, the passage that we're, we're focusing on this, this, um, in this conversation, again, the, the, the work that the older women are doing as they teach and train the younger women, it does focus in, in this passage around, um, you know, a personal devotion, a personal discipleship, you know, being self-controlled, being pure. Um, but it also does root around some core relationships, you know, the, the, the relationship of being a wife, the relationship of being a mother. So this idea of working at home, being kind, being submissive to their own husbands, but again, all of it is rooted in the larger mission that God is doing on yes. the earth today. So it isn't, like you said, it isn't just limited to that. Like we, we are called both as men and women to, to image the, the family of God through our earthly families. Um, but that's always tied to the larger mission that God is doing in the world, which goes, which goes beyond our earthly families and, and our children. So let's let's try to wrap up over the next 10 or 15 minutes, Susie, with some positive advice or how to's. So we do see this shortage really among men and women of qualified, focused, older believers who are reaching back into the coming generations and, and teaching and training and helping young women, helping young men grow into the mature believers that, that God has called them to be. Um, the question I have for you is, you know, how would you advise a younger woman who is in the chaos of those 
those early years as a, as a wife, perhaps as a mother, how would you advise her to, to look for and initiate with an older woman who she could learn from? So that's a really good question. And, and, and just honestly, just would encourage her with what we do here in our ministry is, you know, the, a key discipleship principle is, is Mark um, 3. Um, I think it's verses 13 and 14, where um, and, and we tell women all the time where Jesus just chose some men to be with them and they chose to follow. So it's, you know, and we just say that ultimately people choose each other. People choose each other. But it's in Jesus's model, before he chose those men, he spent some time praying. Hmm. And so that's what we encourage women. We encourage them to, to pray, to believe that God is invested in her spiritual health, um, in that sound doctrine, you know, that orthodoxy and orthopraxy in her life. He's, um, that he's, he's invested in, in honoring that kind of prayer. And just to encourage her to start praying, um, you know, you find what you're looking for, right? So start, hmm. start looking for it. Start praying for God. Show me a woman, show me somebody, a, a woman or a small group or a group of women, whatever it is that I can become, begin running with God hmm. that can help me in my spiritual journey so that I can understand my identity. I can understand this calling. I can understand how to live my life out on two fronts, this physical front and this spiritual front. So I think it starts with prayer. I think, too, um, you've got to know what you're looking for. And I would say that uh, a, a verse that I've just have held on to all these years, it's Hebrews 13, 7. It's so simple. And it just says, consider those who led you. So just start paying attention to the people <laughs> who are leading. Right. You know, uh, you know, consider those who led you, who spoke the word of God to you. So not just, you know, somebody out there in the secular word, but you know, people who are leading in a spiritual context, in the church context, consider those who led you, spoke the word of God to you. Consider the result of their conduct. Mm. So now you're you're looking at the orthopraxy, right? What's coming out of their life? Consider what you see coming out of their life. That's the person's faith. That's the person whose faith you want to imitate. Mm. So you're praying, you're asking God to show you. You know what you're looking for, that person who is speaking the word of God and you see the word of God in that person's life, right? That's an imitatable faith. And then you're going to have to initiate. You're mm -hmm. going to have to be willing to go up and just simply say, can I join your group? Would, would, can I, can I, would you mind getting some time with me? I see something in your life and I would love to learn from you. That doesn't mean that when you ask that the other the woman you're asking has a clue about what you're asking about, <laughs> but this is the process. This right. is the only process we really, if you're waiting for somebody to be nominated a women's ministry leader, and then she's going to go to some conference and put a program in motion, and then she's going to fill get some forms so that you can do kind of a spiritual e-harmony for women. And then you get matched up with you. This is not what we see in scripture. Right. We see you pray. We, you know what you're looking for and you ask. That's what you've got to be willing to do. Yeah, I, I think I would say that's it's, it's such great advice. I love Hebrews 13, 7 for the reasons that you just mentioned. You know, you know, find someone that's in your your social network that you would like your life to look like theirs when you're their age. You know, that's really Hebrews 13, 7. And like you said, spiritually, not just uh, in a secular sense, but who has lived life well that you would want to learn from? And 
the good news is even though we see a shortage of Titus II women and men, there are those good examples in our churches. There are those older women. I think in a perfect world, Susie, that the older women would be the ones initiating with the, the younger women. And we, we kind of see that here in Titus too, like, like Titus is instructing the older women to take it upon themselves to, to teach and train. But practically speaking, if you're a younger woman who desires that, you know, it's, it's in some ways, it's just math. If there are fewer of these older women available, and they're looking down at just a mass of younger women who they could invest in, I mean, the one that puts their hand up and initiates and asks to get time with that older woman is probably the one that's going to get more time and, and investment from. So you don't have to wait as a younger woman. You can be active. Like you said, you can pray, you can be on the lookout and you can initiate and, and just invite. Yeah. So, and it's, it's both ways. I think the older woman needs to learn how to um, initiate, but the younger woman has to know how to initiate too. And I would say this, it's not, you know, um, it's, you, you find that older woman, it's not an end all be all kind of a thing. So when you consider the result, you know, what if there's an older woman who you see this gift of compassion or, you know, servanthood in, and you could really use a dose to that, man, you need to get with that. We don't need, we mm. don't need every woman teaching me how to have a quiet time. Right. <laughs> right. right. Clearly, there are other things. Clearly, when you look at Titus two, there are other life things that we need to get a hold of. There's other relational things that we need to get a hold of. So I think in the, I think when you think in terms of community and the entire body of, it takes a body of Christ to make a disciple. I think we need to make sure that we're not just glomming on to one woman and she's going to be the one person that's going to be everything for me, but to realize that, you know, um, I think what God wants us to do is to interact with various people within the body of Christ where we can glean from, right? That, that verse is, um, it's not just a one person kind of verse. It's who do you see in the community whose faith you'd like to imitate? What is something in their faith that you would like that you see a lack of in your own? Get with that person, right? right. And so some of that we're going to have to be proactive with. We just are going to have to be proactive with. But I would say on the flip side, you know, um, uh, with an older woman actually taking the initiative, I think for the older woman to gain confidence, she's got to make sure she's invested in her own spiritual walk. Mm. You know, that's a big hindrance is that I don't know enough. I, what if I don't know what to say? Okay, well, one, start reading the Bible. Two, there's something out there called Google. Yep. So if you don't know, Google it, right? So we, we, we've got to stop using the excuses of what we don't know. Um, we just, we just have to join the team. We've just got to join the work and God, what is it? That old saying, God doesn't call the equipped. He equips who he calls. And we've got to live by that truth. We've got to live by that grid that the Holy spirit is with me. And if I'm cultivating a real walk with God, if I'm, if I'm getting fresh bread, in the morning from him. If I'm abiding with Christ, I already have something that I have to give to other women. And that's a vibrant living walk with God. And um, so I think, I think they just need to be engaged in their own walk. They need to get the training that they need. If you feel that you be in a community where you're not just talking about, you know, um, daily things, be in a community that will challenge you and the way you think, um, challenge you on some things, a ministry like the well that can give you some training and some resources on how to mentor. Right. And again, for, for the older woman too, she's going to need to pray. 
God, lead me to that woman. Show me those women who are hungry and thirsty for you and um, and give me the courage to invite them into a relationship, whether it's a short term or long term. It doesn't have to be, you know, once again, we're not marrying one another for crying out loud. This is not covenant relationship. This is just entering people's lives for a season and giving to those people what you have to give. And you won't be the only one giving, but you do have something to give. And I think each one has to just own the fact that we have a contribution to make to another person in the body of Christ. And we have a message that needs to be proclaimed to the world. And as the world hears us proclaim this message and they see the way we actually care and love one another, this is the apologetic. This is the testament. This is the evidence that something real is there. If I could focus on one word you shared there, I think it's the word own, whether regardless of where you're at in life, taking the ownership of your faith and your growth yes. and, and the mission that God has called you to, whether you're younger or older and just setting it back, you know, as we wrap up here, just setting it back into the context of the, the bigger picture of what God is doing. The grace of God has appeared. It's bringing salvation to all people, but it's also training us to live lives of devotion to Jesus. But none of that is going to happen. The mechanism is shared life, us being in relationship with one another, us learning from one another, and especially generationally, that the older generations would be sharing, teaching, training the younger generations. Just a word of encouragement. Um, I think I asked four older men when I first began following Jesus. Uh, I asked four older men to share with me, to mentor me, to help me learn this new faith that I was living. And the first three said no. They were very gracious, but they basically said, I, I don't have the capacity or I don't know how to do that. So, you know, if you're a younger woman who starts to reach out, it can take a lot just to take that step where you're asking for time. The answer might be no. Don't let that, you know, be the, the end of the story. There are women out there who who will meet with you, who will share with you. So persevere, keep praying. Susie, I want to do something a little bit different. Um, if folks have been listening up to this point, we're about 50 minutes in, um, they might have specific questions just based on some of what we've talked about. If you're listening and you want to learn more, maybe we touched on something but didn't do a deep enough dive, um, I want to invite people to like leave a comment if you're watching on YouTube or if you you can go to YouTube and just leave it under this video. Um, or if you want to email us, just get in touch with us through our social media. Would you be willing to come back at a later date and answer some of those questions? Yeah, I'll come back as long as you want me back. <laughs> yeah, I, I think this is such a um, important topic. And I think there's a, I, I believe there's a big desire on the part of this younger generation to be discipled, to grow, to learn and to follow. Um, so we may have been talking about things that, that but, but we may not have answered their specific questions. So if that characterizes you and you have a question that you would like Susie to address, you know, leave that in the comments here on YouTube and uh, Susie will have you back on in the near future just to kind of do a deeper dive on those specific questions that people might have. And I think I want to be able, before we jump off too, because we've, uh, I just, as you were talking, it just dawned on me that, you know, we didn't clarify the terms. Yeah. So when we speak in terms of older women or older men, we're not talking blue hairs, right? We're not talking <laughs> geriatrics. We're not talking senior citizens. 
So older in the Bible is a reference to growth, right? Um, maturity, perfection, this is all about growing. So it's not age related, it's spiritual growth related. So, um, and so we're not looking for people that are 65 and above, right? Mm. You're just looking for somebody that's on the journey a little bit further than you are. That person can function as the older woman or that older man in your life, right? Right. Yeah. I think there's, there's sort of like a, a, a two, two d- dimensions there. I do think one of it is just um, life and spiritual maturity. I do think if you can get someone who has had kids and basically you rounded the bases, it's, it's good to have someone who's far enough along, like I said, that you could look forward and say, hey, in 10 years and 15 years and 30 years, I would like my life to look something like that person's. But I agree that but we're not is, limited. But it's a deficit out there. You might not get that. You might only get somebody who's got five years on you. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> well, Susie, thank you so much. As always, I, I love having you on. We're going to be doing it in the future. But thanks for making some time to, to come on and to talk about a topic that I don't think gets talked about enough, especially in on podcasts or in ministries that are not exclusively focused on women's ministry. I think we need to be having these kinds of conversations in just general ministries like Into the Harvest, where we have a heart to know Jesus and to follow him and help other people follow him. Um, These kinds of conversations I think are important and I appreciate you coming on and sharing with us. And thank you for your example, because I think you, this is the example of a man supporting a woman's ministry, a brother in Christ supporting a sister in Christ and working collaboratively together for that greater good. And I think, I think it's a good example of what God wants in the body. You know, um, I think it's a good example. So thank you for being a great example, a great example of a good brother in Christ. (laughs) Well, I appreciate that. We're going to keep doing it. And, um, Once more, if you have questions that you want us to do a deeper dive on, especially with Titus 2 and this whole topic of older women mentoring and discipling younger women, share them in the comments or email us and uh, we'll cover them the next time we have Susie on. 